I think it comes down to understanding it's market fit, like any product that you bring to the marketplace and understanding, is this product an improvement or there's some sort of edge that your product is going to give you in the marketplace? This is The E-Commerce Leader, a show for you, the owner of a thriving online business. In this shorter episode, we bring you our hot takes on topical and central e-commerce subjects, fresh from our expert panel, Chris Green, Jason Miles, Kyle Hamer, and myself, Michael Beasley. Let's jump in. Today's sponsor is Eva, the best AI repricer for Amazon Profits. Private label sellers, are you wasting your cash? Eva reprices your products for you, and the result is up to 50% more profits. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers in the USA and is now out for British and European sellers as well. For a 15-day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Private label businesses are a fantastic e-commerce operation to get into, but they're not without their challenges. In today's episode, we're going to get hot takes from the roundtable squad here on what it takes to have a successful private label brand and scale it in e-commerce platforms. So gentlemen, let's jump into the topic today. I don't know if anybody has a super passionate point of view they want to share first. Kyle, Mike, Michael, either of you are, are in this biz specifically. One of you want to go first and kick it off yeah. for us? I'll plunge in because I want to start with something a bit controversial to get people's attention and then we'll see what people think. And uh, Kyle can disagree violently with me and then that'll be lots of fun. So I'm going to say two things. Private label is dead and private labeling isn't for most people uh, listening to the show in likelihood. So the first thing, <laughs> I'm going to start with the, the second. Maybe add more context to that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to add some context. I demand context, sir. Keep well, going, keep going. <laughs> private labeling isn't for most people. So if you've only got a few thousand dollars burning a hole in your pocket, I would suggest there are multiple sourcing models that could work among which is probably not private label because it's a high risk, high reward model. Uh, don't get me wrong. I know lots of people just to kind of flip a more positive spin on it. I know plenty of people, including a couple of members of the mastermind who have done seven figure exits with private label businesses. So it absolutely can be huge rewards. But if you've got small money to start with, you could do physical product sourcing, retail arbitrage, online arbitrage, wholesale. I don't personally have any experience, but I'm fascinated by I know nothing about that. Digital product businesses like Jason, obviously, you guys have got a massive business there. There are many, many models amongst which I'd argue probably not private label if you're not fully funded. And the second thing to deal with my more controversial point, private label in the strict sense is a dead business model. So if you're just slapping your logo on an existing product and if, if we're lucky you get a personalized bit of packaging, that it, that was hard to do in 2014 when I started. That's seven years on, it's not a good plan. I only know one serious business owner who's doing this and frankly, he's really struggling his way out of that. So instead of which you need to custom or customize product. It's gonna take time or money anyway. So you may as well do it properly or do something else properly, but don't half do private label. So that's my main starting point. I agree with you on, and here's why private label is dead because private label is being done at scale by companies like Amazon and you're not going to compete against them. So back in 2014, 2015, where you could just slap a label on some, on some product, it hundred percent, but that doesn't mean that starting your own brand, 
having and starting testing with private label just to test a market, you can do so and you can do so, I think, with limited risk. So I do agree with you to an extent, but I think that there's an angle which you can take with private label and which you can test with a low cost and low barrier to entry. You just have to sort of adjust your your paradigm slightly and you're not looking to go with $5,000, $10,000 orders of, of units out of the gate. But you want to test and you have to, the secret to that model of testing small is you have to find gaps in marketplaces like Amazon where there is demand for a product and and you can source it even and even test it for, say, around $500 to $1,000. Now, with that said, I will say that it is progressively harder and harder and harder to, to execute because of the level of competition on Amazon. So to Michael's point, choosing a business model that is less of a barrier entry to get into makes a lot of sense. You need to align your business model to your capital that you have available. And that, that would be the first starting point. So just don't go ape into a, a business model and be like, I read the hustle on YouTube, and I'm just going to go jump in and try it and do it. That's usually a good recipe to losing um, a, a lot of money. All right. Well, we're off to a wonderful start, kids. <laughs> that yeah. sounded rather optimistic. Now that we're all depressed about private label, I th- think to myself, who is it that I work with who three years ago had one business that was wholesale? And when we got an update, they had three X or four X multi-million dollars. And their commentary was what they added to their business was private label. Mm. Yep. Somebody. So I won't say the name, but that comes to my mind. And then other clients we have are crushing it with private label. So help me connect the dots here, gents. Right. You two both dumpster fired our topic a little bit. No disrespect Absolutely. to you, you're the experts, but help me, under, help me understand how actually in some situations, private label could possibly be a good situation now that we have, you know, having worried done, people that it's horrible. Having done the dumpster fire, I'm happy to worry people. And you know why? Because there's this thing, maybe yeah. it's a British thing, American thing. Americans, it's almost rude amongst American culture to be anything less than really, really, really positive, particularly amongst internet marketers from California, I've noticed. Now, what I would say is I'm not doing anyone a favor if I'm going to really, you know, for example, if somebody looks amazing in a pair of size four shoes and my size, I have size 10 feet, it's just going to be a miserable experience for me. I, for the right person, private labeling or you know custom product development is an incredible opportunity. And I want to be very, very clear. I know multiple people who've sold their businesses for seven figures personally, including members of the mastermind, and we've helped them do that. So that's fantastic if it's right for you. But equally, I wouldn't go out and try and invest in property or real estate with like $5,000 or pounds. It's just not a realistic okay. starting point. And Fair that's enough. what let's, I'm trying to say. Let's assume it's right for you. Then what do you do? Okay. Kyle, do you want to take and what, this? And what makes it successful when it's right for you? I, I think it comes down to understanding it's market fit, like any product that you bring to the marketplace and understanding, is this product an improvement or uh, there's some sort of edge that your product is going to give you in the marketplace for that particular sure. audience or customer? Like that has to be the yeah. starting point. You just can't go and say, I'm going to, I'm going to create a cell phone and compete against Apple. That would be a terrible private label endeavor. Right. And there's plenty of mature, ma- very mature spaces on marketplaces like Amazon, but just in general, they're just mature product lines, right? You're not going to compete very effectively unless you have a really significant technical advantage or you have an, a, like a hundred million people that you can just say, hey, go buy this makeup and be Kylie Jenner, right? Like she took her audience, pointed it at makeup that wasn't all that 
special or unique, but because she had an audience, she drove a huge, huge growth in, in that business. So her audience gave her an edge. And I think that's the very first thing you have to do when thinking about custom products is what's going to be your edge. Some of the most successful clients that we've worked with are private label actually built upon 20 years of experience in a particular industry. And they yeah. use that knowledge to craft a better product. And I think that is sort of the secret sauce. It's just not copying somebody else's thing. You can't, you can't model necessarily someone else's product to the full extent by copying them and have success. Okay, so your guys' point of view is if you do it stupidly, it's a bad business model by just copying someone's right. simplistic phone case with your label on it that is a yeah. commodity. Okay, let's assume that's not the plan. <laughs> well, but, but it's good to put it out there, though, because that's okay, what all, it's some, not people, the plan. some people have tossed yeah. this. You know, this is <laughs> yeah. the, the, the prevailing teaching of how okay. to do private label across all the right. internet. And I think we have to sort of raise awareness of the fact that that particular methodology of doing it yeah. is, is dated and old. And if you do it, you're likely to get burned. Okay, Mike, well, that's that your thesis exa- as well. Is that that was exactly the point I was trying to make. Yeah, you put it in a very polite, sort of positive uh, way. But yes, I, I think I'm just trying to correct the BS out there that that is like you can, you know, replace your day job within a year from private level business. It's possible, but it's extremely yeah. unlikely. And I just feel that's irresponsible marketing. So I just want to put it out there. So um, I, the step, side. I step into this conversation not having heard any of that marketing you guys have clearly been jaded by the shiny (laughs) object syndrome in the space but you're both practitioners coaching people on private label business 100% so that's the the disconnect in my mind right now it's not a disconnect because if I I own property but I I, I own property or real estate, as you call it. And I think that's a wonderful business model. I'll continue to buy it. My wife and I will keep buying it. And that's a very yeah. standard business model everyone's familiar with. But that doesn't mean I would turn around and advise a friend who said, I want, I've got £5,000, can I buy a flat in London and let it out? I would say, no, <laughs> go and get some, another 50. Sure. You know, I, I wouldn't say that applies to private labor. What I would say is, to Kyle's point, if exactly you've got to have an edge, I would say the people I've seen do it very, very well are obsessives about product development. And I think there's two ways to go with it. Either be obsessive or find one. So Jason Francios, mm-hmm. for example, that interview for the podcast, so that's why I'm men- mentioning him because I know he'll be happy to have it talked about, develops a weightlifting belt, which is the most common thing in the world on Amazon. But his partner was had a PhD in physiotherapist and he's a, an obsessive CrossFitter, which I guess is the only kind of CrossFitter, right? Another guy, Mina Elias, again, referencing a podcast just because I know he'll be happy to have it talked about, was obsessed with supplements since his teens. He couldn't find the perfect supplement, so he created one. And again, that's done very, very well. Now, I personally don't care about product development, but I know some very obsessive product developers these days, and they tend to approach me. I'm in that lucky position now. And I love helping people sell a product which is really fantastically made for a particular purpose, for a particular market, because that has a really solid chance of success. And I think that's that's the way to go with it. Yeah, it's interesting because when you start to think about Amazon specifically as a marketplace and the business models that it supports, when you're getting into it, to your point earlier, Michael, about if you had a little bit of money, but even if you had a lot of money, there's some skill sets that you have to develop. And there's a lot less risk in developing that by selling someone else's product already has a brand. So if you're doing arbitrage or you're doing wholesaling or whatever it is, you don't have to build a brand at the same time while and master marketing as well as product development. Those are two different skill sets. And essentially, if you start with private label and you don't have a solid marketing background, you don't have a solid branding background, you're going to be you're going to be going down two tracks at the exact same time of growth. And it's just hard. 
I mean, it's just a difficult thing to, to, to do. So it's not even, it is a money thing. Yes, it's capital, but it's also a skill set. Uh, issue that you have to solve as well, because product development and marketing and brand building are two widely separate things. Love that. Obviously, leaving off the brand of private label brand is sort of a shortcut term, isn't it? Phrasing wise, but the whole point is that it's the brand. So now that we've kind of pointed out the pitfalls, concerns, uh, shiny object syndrome, snake oil sellers, uh, pitfalls, can somebody concisely say a hot take or two or three about constructively, if it's right for you, if you have capitalization, you're capitalized, if all things are right, what are the attributes of uh, a successful private label branded uh, product line? Do you want to take this, Kyle? Sure. I think you have to understand the market like we talked about. I do think that there's a level of product development and passion around it. You have to have margin in your product. <laughs> Like that, it, it more maybe more so than other business models, I would argue on Amazon is that you have to have margin because to scale private label, to scale your own product, meaning you're going out now, you're putting down the $25,000, $50,000, $100,000, to pay for your product, you have to have capital. And the best uh, source of capital is going to be the capital that you can turn over in your in your business on your cash flow wise, your cash on cash return and margin becomes a really critical piece of that. If you don't have very much margin in your products, you're going to have a very, very slow growth curve and probably too slow to survive for the long term. Or, or at least you'll hit a, a cap, right? You'll hit like a plateau and you won't be able to scale much past it. And so understanding that is is important. I think uh, a strong brand is also a critical piece because you have to now stand out amongst your other competitors. And, you know, uh, even if you have a really cool product and it's designed well and it's functionally adding a ton of value to your customer base, if your brand is awful, people will not buy from you. Right. Because they're immediately associating the value of your product to the value that's, that you put into the brand. Right. And so brands have meaning. And the, the more thought and energy you put into that to make it uh, look like a professional brand and not just a sticker you printed off the Internet it is, again, adding actual business value, which is probably the ultimate outcome for me of a private label business is that you're actually building real business value and all of that sort yeah. of lends to it. Sure. Michael, what are your thoughts? 100%. Yeah, that that all makes absolute sense. I think you're totally right about margin. Uh, I know some businesses that have relative low margin on their products and they borrow a lot of money if they're successful at scaling, which is a, a big risk factor. We've talked about that before. And the more you can use your own cash flow to get a return, the better. I'm not, I literally do know some people who put a few thousand dollars in maybe six, seven years ago and grew a business to several million dollars a year in, in revenue within six, seven years. It does happen. It's not common, but it, it's good to set that up. The other thing is, to your point, Kyle, I think you made an incredibly important point. You, you are learning two very big skill sets. Product development and sourcing is, is just huge. And I think that I would simply say, if you can learn on um, maybe wholesale selling, so you're still working with suppliers and you've still got a big skill set to learn there, but you can focus on the marketing side and that's what you actually bring possibly to somebody who's very good at product development with a bricks and mortar type of supply chain, but they're not good at Amazon focused or internet focused marketing. If you can develop that skill set on a proven brand and hone that, you've got that half of your business done. I think that's a really great way to, to get started these days. And the way I got started was I plunged in and I developed the two skill sets at the same time. And as, as you said, 
Kyle, super tough. And I don't think it's necessary to do that to yourself. I think you can you can work your way in. And the other thing I would say is then you've got two choices at that point. You can either stick to your skill set and then find somebody else who's obsessed about a particular product line and really great at product development and work with them as a business partner or in a slightly looser formation. Or you can learn the skills yourself by gradually working your way into private labeling, which is what some of my clients are doing in the mastermind. And that's working very well for them because they have the existing cash flow and, and business and skill set in place so they can gradually bring in this new skill set. So either of those, I think, works very, very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love it, love it. Okay, lo- I'm going to add two more Ps to your list of uh, power over product, packaging, pages, and price. I'm going to add two more Ps to your list. So you had product, packaging, pages, and price. You also have power or control over your promotional strategies, and you have power and control over your platform that you sell on. Mm -hmm. And so the value proposition there, and you know, I mean, Kyle and I have worked with a lot of people. One person comes to my mind, won't mention what his his specifics are, but he crushed it three years ago with multi-million dollar product launch. I used a crowdfunding model. And then when we come up with a couple months ago, when we haven't worked with him for a while, we caught up with him. He had a completely different product line that he was just absolutely crushing it with. And it was a totally different approach product wise. But the the commonality was to, you know, Kyle, you and Michael's points. He's a great marketer. Mm-hmm. He he knew how to apply the branding, the promotional tactics, the pricing strategy, the supply chain to basically jump from one space, one whole niche, completely different into a different niche. And the commonality was he was a, a fantastic, you know, 25-year veteran, 30-year veteran uh, marketer. So you guys' points are valid in terms of it being, I guess, an amateur hour if you just slap a label on something made off of, you know, from Alibaba. Of course, that's how to do it wrongly. But when you see examples of people who hone their marketing skills over years and years and years and then apply it to a niche or a new industry and you think to yourself, what in the world? How did they just go from zero to a seven-figure business by using products that are made by somebody else, manufactured by somebody else that they've maybe tweaked slightly, changed, modified, repackaged, uh, and improved upon? You see the awesome power of this model. So yeah. Kyle, Michael, any further thoughts? How do you weave it all together for us here? At just, the end? just a quick one on the sourcing side, because obviously, as you said, Kyle, and I'm so glad to hear somebody articulate that so clearly that the sourcing and, and product development side is a huge skill set. One thing I would say, since you mentioned Alibaba, please don't go to Alibaba. This morning, I was working with a client who's working on developing a product that, that could be handmade or could be manufactured. So we've, we've sort of thrown open the sourcing to three possibilities. One is a handmade in, in India, and we're using a person who specializes in that because I don't live in India and neither does he. The second one is uh, China. We're looking at options there and we've got two people there that are experts in how to source there and they can find quality factories and they have very, very rigorous quality control processes developed over decades. And the third option we're looking into is sourcing in the US where there's a little bit more oversight by the governments like it is in Europe and therefore we're, we're going direct to manufacturers. And so what I would say is you don't have to 
reinvent the wheel. I personally don't freight stuff around the world, nor would I dream of doing so. And these days, I don't go direct to factories. I use a middle person who's really, really expert at that. And I would suggest, again, to a point we maybe made earlier, I don't know if it's in one of our you know, two-way chats, Jason and the e-commerce leader, or this this one, but it's a who, not how question, really, I think, mm-hmm. often, and the sourcing thing. So don't try to become expert in something that will take a yeah. lifetime. That's just, <laughs> There isn't enough time. Find a trusted person, preferably through referrals personally, and then use that person. Yeah, to extend that as well, the reason why Alibaba itself, I like to find products, is a terrible place to find products. I mean, not terrible, but, but it's, it's more of a challenge, is the best factories are not even on Alibaba because they don't need the business, mm-hmm. right? So if you have someone who's got 20 years of sourcing experience in China, they already know who those factories are and probably have the connections to get you connected to it, but they're not going to be publicly available on places like Alibaba because they don't need to be, right? So they have the highest quality and the best price or, or at least the, the highest quality for sure. So there's just little things you learn over time with that. But second, here, here's here's my other hot take. And I want to throw this out there for people that are interested in private label. If you are a marketer or you have marketing skills, you can build an audience and you have that and you've proven that over time. And, and you have some capital and you're thinking about private label. I think that there's a pretty interesting opportunity to go and actually buy private label businesses that are still sort of in the smaller stage. You're going to have a lot of these big, big roll-up companies like the Thrasios of the world that are going after sort of like the million dollar private label and above. And, you know, there's some wiggle room. They'll go down to you know, a half million depending on the niche and which ones are going. But I think that there's an interesting gap uh, a private label businesses that are sort of probably in that, um, you know, 50000 to $250,000 price range of the value of their business, where maybe they have some IP, maybe they have some product development expertise, but they just don't know how to market their product very well. I think that would be interesting opportunity for a really good marketer to come and have some money to get an asset relatively cheap. And go out and be in the private label business without having to become a, a developer, like a, a product developer. And you could actually yeah. partner with somebody like that in that scenario. So, And those businesses angle. are scaling up and being available for sale all over the internet. I mean, there's yeah. so many yeah. sites now, Micro Acquire and Flippa mm-hmm. and Empire Flippers. And there's mm-hmm. just so many marketplaces. Shopify has its own marketplace where you can acquire these, you know, version zero to version one Mm -hmm. efforts where people have gotten some sales velocity. They have sorted things out. They've gotten an audience and a product that's matching and they, you know, they can demonstrate it through revenue and those businesses are frequently available. And so that is interesting. All right, guys, 30 minutes in, we've got to wrap it here. Interesting conversation. Definitely went places we didn't expect. And so as always, it's an honor and really, really grateful for the time and talent you all bring to the party. So I know audiences as well. If you're listening to this on the Colin app, we'd love your like comments and followership of the show as well on Spotify or Apple play. If you're listening to it there in the future. So thanks everybody so much. I'm going to end it here. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England and Jason miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.